23 minutes after 7 p.m. It's our wrap of the top business stories. And uh, yeah, a busy, busy Tuesday out in the world of business and money. And uh, also did see, of course, earlier on today, uh, some... uh, some guidance on, I guess, what the state of disaster around electricity is going to mean by way of general measures uh, to intervene in the disaster. And I'm also anticipating uh, very much uh, what uh, the same will look like for the flood uh, national state of disaster or flooding national state of disaster that has been declared. So, yeah, you might want to talk to us about that. But also, if you are a resident of the city of Tswane, uh, out in Pretoria, Tabatwane. Uh, well, yeah, you you have a new mayor. And your new mayor is Dr. Morunwa Makwarela, uh, who is a councillor of the Congress of the People in Atwane. And uh, I think at some stage he was the Speaker of Council uh, there in Atwane. So, yeah, you might want to give us a sense of what you make of all of the musical chairs happening out in the Council of the City of Atwane. But that being said, joined on the line now by the co-founder out at Satana Capital, and that is uh, Kanya Nzululeka to take a look at the latest out in the markets. Kanya, good evening to you. Welcome. Evening, Aya. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Unjan. No, I'm Jatilana Good, 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 good. Let's start there with that state of disaster um, mm. and your own assessment. Uh, because I must say, I mean, you know, whenever there's a national state of disaster, many of us, I guess, were waiting with some bated breath as to what directives would be enabled by this declaration. Um, as empowered by the uh, Section 27 of the Disaster Management Act. Um, And it seems this time around, big focus on essential infrastructure, making sure that uh, water treatment works, hospitals, uh, the rail network, uh, food processing silos, and uh, all of those things uh, are not disrupted as much as they are by the impact of load shedding. Uh, And uh, they even say, yeah, I guess, uh, supporting service delivery to life-saving and specified essential infrastructure. What do you make of uh, some of these measures? We've seen some of them in the action plan as well. Um, yeah, thanks for that, Aya. Um, I, I think that quite a lot of what has actually come out in the regulations is, um, you know, things that we had actually expected. You know, removal of impediments to the development and the construction of new energy, you know, capacity generation, um, you know, procurement being done under the emergency provisions of mm. the PFMA, MFA, F- MFMA and the like. So quite a lot of that, you know, are things that we had actually expected. Um, we would have, I personally would have thought that given, you know, all the negativity that has been out in the media, um, and we also saw that quite a lot of, like, civil action groups taking, um, you know, the government court over, you know, the declaration of the state of um, disaster over the energy crisis, there would have been a bit of clarity around what the oversight is going to be exactly, a bit more clarity on what exactly those impediments that are going to be removed are, um, because I think that at this point in time, our government is running on a major trust deficit um, with with citizens. So, um, you know, we we have it and, you know, we look to see how it is going to be implemented. Um, Very interesting for me is also the fact that certain activities are going to be exempted from the National Environment Management Act requirements. Um, so, you know, you, you start to ask yourself questions of does this open doors for, you know, things like a powership um, mm. that really have been struggling when it comes to, you know, the country's environmental regulations. So quite a lot, you know, for us to just chew on as society. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, if people aren't nervous about, you know, whether or not this will actually be great for the country, um, you know, they maybe they haven't been paying attention to some of the stuff that has happened, you know, with COVID-19 and the like. Mm.
Then I guess, you know, the, the other dimension, of course, uh, allowing, as you say, for things we have seen, the import uh, from our neighbors of some energy. Um, I also found, I guess, the expedi- expediting of approvals rather interesting. So anywhere from the approvals on an environmental basis right through uh, to expediting, I guess, any other emergency procurement as well. What do you make of this? Uh, and I guess are these measures, in addition to what has already been announced in your view, adequate to mitigate and even, I guess, um, stem the further escalation of this energy crisis? From my perspective, um, I still have more questions than answers, Mm. really. Um, You know, if you look at the definition of a disaster, it implies something that is sudden, Um, you know, something that, you know, people could not have actually foreseen. Um, And I know that, you know, when the president actually did announce this, um, he did say that they had actually consulted with various legal professionals, lawyers and the like, and they are satisfied that the current energy crisis does actually meet the definition of a disaster. But for me, the first thing is, is it really a disaster if it's something that's been in the works, you know, um, over so many decades? Um, That's the first thing. And I think the second thing is that when it comes to, um, you know, the the procurement, it is actually in line with already existing acts like the PFMA. Um, So it it speaks about the fact that there's a section that deals with emergency use of funds, and it has to be in the public interest. Um, So, you know, what does that mean? You know, what does it mean to you know, go to actually remove certain oversight measures that have been put in place to combat things like corruption, to combat things like wastage potentially. What does it mean? Is that in the, you know, interests of the public? Um, but having said that, I do think that we're in a very tight position as a country mm-hmm. and we need to resolve load shedding as soon as possible. But I must say, I still have that question to say what's going to change in, you know, our leaders trying to resolve this urgently if they struggled to resolve it, you know, over such a yeah. long period of time that they've already been given. Particularly, you know, you always point to, and I know that, you know, Mr. Director did come out of that interview expressing his views about, you know, this is what's been happening in the background, you know, but we, we had COVID, there wasn't really like a lot of usage of energy and the like. You know, we were given all these assurances that, you know, load shedding is never going to happen. We have the space to now deal with things. Mm. And we're still here. So what's going to change now? Yes, there's corruption. Yes, there's criminal activity. How are these regulations going to deal with those two particular aspects? Yeah, yeah. And I guess only time will tell. We're going to have to watch this one particularly closely. But um, interesting development on that score. Let's head out to Stats SA. They put out the quarterly labor force survey numbers. And uh, this is of a, a sample of households. Uh, and I guess asking households who does what uh, within uh, the home. And uh, yeah, I, I guess as predicted, a recovery in the number. Much fewer people are opting out of the job search. And we also have seen year on year, if you compare the fourth quarter of 2022 to the fourth quarter of 2021, uh, 1.4 million jobs added. Um, yeah, a recovery nonetheless, of course, not nowhere near where we want uh, unemployment levels to be in the country, but uh, certainly does, I guess, signal uh, some return uh, from the very low depths that we had during the uh, challenges brought about by the pandemic. Yeah, so uh, a bit of good news coming out when it comes to the employment numbers that were announced today. 
So we're seeing increases in employment across all sectors except for agriculture, construction, and uh, community and social services. Community and social services being actually one of the sectors that previously had been doing actually, you know, uh, particularly well. Um, but yeah, the unemployment rate um, that has gone down from 32.9% to about 32.7%. Uh, percent. All in all, 169,000 jobs um, gained um, between the third quarter of 2022 and the fourth quarter. Um, so, I mean, overall, it's great news. But as always, when you pop the hood open, it doesn't actually tell a very good story, you know, for South Africa moving forward. And for me, in particular, I'm always interested in those youth unemployment numbers, and those have actually deteriorated. Um, you know, youth unemployment sitting at over 60%. Um, it's gone up by 1.4% from the third quarter of 2022. So, you know, we, we have to ask ourselves, and this is the age group of 15 and 24, we have to ask ourselves, are we doing enough to actually prepare young people to, to have meaningful work and therefore a meaningful life, um, you know, in this country? And I guess for me, there's some of the sectors that drove this number. Um, so quarter on quarter, much of the growth coming from Cape Town, uh, I should say in the Western Cape, uh, but also I say Cape Town because uh, a big chunk of the jobs that were added uh, between the third quarter of 2022 and the fourth quarter of 2022 coming out of the financial services sector. And unsurprisingly, I guess, um, if you think about how many finance professionals would be working there, um, mm. you know, I guess, yeah, coming out of the Western Cape primarily. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that, you know, um, it's from a Western Cape perspective, we can say a lot about, you know, the, the provincial government, but I, I think they are actually showing how well things can go if, you know, the administration of the city is at least, you know, done well. So I think since... December, they've been hosting something, one or another, big event. Uh, you know, you have people streaming into, you know, into the province. And when it comes to the financial sector, the financial sector in South Africa has actually been one of the biggest contributors to employment in this country. Um, but that's not always a great thing when you consider the fact that quite a lot of our citizens don't always have the opportunity to, um, you know, to, to further their education, which is what you would need to be absorbed by the financial sector. So that is growing, and I think that it will continue to grow, um, you know, with all the different types of investment flows taking place. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, kudos to the Western Cape. Um, hopefully, we can see similar increases uh, across the board in other provinces and in other um, uh, sectors as well. I had indicated, I mean, earlier in the introduction as the show started that, um, you know, what makes me quite happy uh, year on year, over a quarter of a million jobs uh, created out in manufacturing. Uh, and uh, I guess uh, probably not anywhere near uh, our pre-COVID-19 peak, if I can say that, uh, post the global yeah. financial crisis. But um, at least something, I guess, uh, that shows some resurgence. Uh, in the 12 months between Q4 2021 and Q4 of 2022. Mm. Yeah, no, that's that's very encouraging. Um, and manufacturing is actually one of those sectors that we, we, we need to grow. It's going to be difficult until the energy crisis is actually mm. sorted out for the sector to actually stabilize. But I think that the fact that, you know, they've been able to, you know, in the in the fourth quarter of 2022, add about 26,000 jobs, despite all the load shedding, 
um, you know, you, you have to give them kudos. Um, it's an extremely difficult position for them right now. And I think that, you know, with all these measures that are actually being put together, a lot of them will actually be looking to say that, listen, we're actually just going to generate our own energy. Mm. Um, because I do think that there is demand for what South Africa has to offer in terms yeah. of manufactured goods. And then the other story, I mean, and I want us maybe to think of these stories alongside each other because they, they in many ways, speak volumes about the implications of geopolitics, um, transition on the one hand from combustion to energy vehicles, and on the other hand, um, you know, a transition for Europe um, away from their heavy reliance on uh, imports of gas from uh, Russia and Ukraine uh, for their energy mm. requirements. Um all of which, I guess, is having a bearing on the DRC and, of course, also uh, on uh, our own Mbangin in Richards Bay in this part of the world. Uh, let's start here at home and we'll come back to uh, what's happening out in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Trucks, it seems, blocking both ways in and out of Richards Bay and Mbangini uh, as they all try and helter-skelter make their way to the coal terminal out in Richards Bay. What's happening here? Yeah, so a bit of a, a traffic headache for, you know, the citizens of Richards Bay. Um, trucks that are delivering coal for export, um, primarily to Europe, have actually been causing, a, you know, traffic congestion. Um, you know, reading some reports there that there are some truck drivers who've had no way of getting, you know, food for almost three days. Um, you know, it's pointing to bad management, um, you know, both from a, a transnet perspective, um, but also from the perspective of the coal exporters themselves. Mm. So, I mean, coal has just skyrocketed. Um, you know, it, its low was about, um, it, it, it reached a low in August 2022, and since then it's jumped about 70.3%. Now, when you combine that with the fact that the RAN has also been depreciating, um, you know, it's, it's basically a, a, a gold mine for coal exporters at, the, at this particular point in time. So, um, you know, something that really is, is, is extremely disappointing. This should actually be something that, you know, as a country we are benefiting from. It means, you know, um, a better tax revenue um, for us, um, but it's actually just causing problems and it doesn't seem as though there's proper management to actually deal um, with the, the transportation of this commodity. And I guess just the other issue is around where export prices for thermal coal are, you know? I mean, yeah. a big part of what might be invisible to what is observable in this story is the path of prices for coal. That's why, you know, people are investing in trucking the stuff out, uh, you know, into Europe uh, on the back of all of the challenges associated with the conflict uh, um, in the eastern parts of Europe, but also, I guess, the other dynamic that is placing all of this inordinate pressure on the roads, uh, as you correctly say, are some of the challenges uh, of the freight rail operator. Um, yeah, but what do you make of how this was resolved? I mean, uh, an armed group, a business forum in that part of the world, effectively intervening, um, yeah, the tactics themselves, uh, but... Um, in a way, trying, I yeah. guess, to mitigate the crisis. Uh, and I guess when there isn't leadership to give guidance, uh, then uh, whoever does come in, we know this. I mean, we see it in our traffic lights every day, uh, where mm. Abu Prabhabi to come in and they assist mm. us. Uh, and it seems, I guess, in this instance, uh, you know, uh, they came in full the birth of absence of communication. And I don't know to what degree uh, all of these challenges um, 
you know, will continue. But yeah, what do you make of that? It's very unfortunate. Um, I, I honestly don't even look at it as something where, you know, it was resolved. If mm. you have to, to come in and use guns and threaten people, that's anarchy. Um, and we're getting to that point in this country where it seems as though criminality is, um, you know, it's the order of the day. And it, it, to your point, because of the vacuum of leadership and the vacuum of, you know, um, state agents, you have people who just say, listen, I'm just going to do this my way. Um, but is it the right way? Is that really a resolution where there are now a group of people who feel that, you know, they can actually threaten other human beings? I don't know. Um, I just think that, you know, what would be really great is the resolution from the people who are mm. actually mandated by the citizens, taxpayers of this country to deal with this. And um, that's Transnet Trade Rail. Um, I saw some reports about the fact that, you know, they're looking to enter into private-public partnerships to, um, to have some um, private companies actually running the corridor between Johannesburg and um, Durban. Mm. Um, and they're probably going to want to do that with Bumalanga and Durban as well. You know, so it's, it's at that point where clearly because of the, the burden of debt on, you know, the state-owned entities, because of the burden of um, operational difficulties due to, you know, the inheritance of just a really difficult working environment due to corruption and a whole host of other things, um, you know, the private sector is going to have to, to come in uh, and, and, and see if we can actually do this in a way that will actually lead us to operational efficiency, but at the, point, but at the same time doesn't strip the state of key assets because a corridor like, you know, Johannesburg and Eteguini is a key state asset that, from my view, mm. shouldn't be privatized. But if we do actually then decide to lease it out to a private sector player who can then, you know, run it more efficiently, that might be our best bet due to the context we currently find ourselves yeah, in. Yeah, and I guess we've underinvested for so long and now mm. are faced with, like, massive, you know... Um, lumpy kinds of investments to just get the thing working again so um look as, as, as i i'm in the same boat with you i don't agree with taking an asset like this uh, anywhere near a privatization but uh, yeah i guess uh, these are some of the challenges that we are confronted with let's take a brief break when we come back we'll just conclude on the um, uh, link there insofar as the drc is concerned and then thereafter we'll have a chance to speak uh, to umakeba who speaks on behalf of uh, uh, the city there out in uh, uh, Richards Bay to give us the latest insofar as that is concerned. But more importantly, Ganya Ganya, what exactly happened? Yeah, 15 minutes it is before 8 p.m. It's our wrap of the top business stories. And we wrap up uh, with that story coming out of Lubumbashi, uh, a Gekka mine, state-owned miner out in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Uh, it seems their standoff uh, with uh, a, ch- a set of Chinese investors uh, operating a copper and cobalt mine alongside Gekka Mines. Uh, and the issues are around interest, it's around taxes, it's around royalties, it's around a sales contract uh, facilitating the export of some of these critical minerals. Uh, and uh, yeah, insofar as this is concerned, Kanya, what, what do you make of this? Um, and I guess uh, what it will mean uh, for the price path of, in particular, cobalt, because we know yeah. this uh, particular mine... Um, you know, produces about 15% of the global supply of this stuff. Mm, yeah. So, um, 
We have a you know a, a dispute, uh, like you said, uh, between uh, a state-run company in Congo, um, and basically they are alleging that a Chinese group called CMOC, um that has a market value of about seventeen billion dollars, mm. um, has actually um, understated you know several things, and based on you know the investigation that they have made, they are owed about seven point six billion dollars in revenue. So it's definitely not a small amount. Um, at the moment, the value of the copper and the cobalt sitting in Congo um, and, you know, ready to actually be exported is about, um, it's worth about $1.5 um, uh, billion. And uh, like you said, I think that, you know, when it comes to the copper, it has been said that, you know, it's actually not going to have that much of an impact, mm. um, you know, on, you know, the price dynamics when that metal is eventually released into the market. Um, as we know, Chile is the biggest uh, producer of uh, copper in the world. Um, but when it comes to cobalt, um, the DRC does actually hold a significant portion of global supply. And we do think that, you know, when this is eventually resolved, it will actually lead to some form of, um, you know, um, some form of, you know, price dynamics that might not be favorable. Um, because, you know, when that is released, it will essentially mean there will be a, a greater supply. Um, and, you know, the expectation there is that the price will then decrease. However, at the moment, you know, there hasn't actually been that much of an impact. Um, this dispute has been ongoing since July. And we can only wait and see how it will eventually be resolved. Yeah, I guess only time will tell uh, how this one will uh, evolve. But uh, we'll certainly be watching it quite closely because it'll have an impact on uh, the rollout of new smartphones and uh, the price points at which those arrive into our hands. But uh, let's leave it there for tonight, Kanya. Always a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Kanya Nzululeka, co-founder out at Satana Capital, helping us with our wrap of the top business stories. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, we check in with that story out in Richards Bay.